Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Hello, hello, welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. How have you been? How are you doing? It's, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. Take a seat, sit down, and let's do this. This is good. I've got Clive Lewis lined up for you. I dialed him up. We had a Skype chat. It's a, it's a good long one. It's about 50 minutes or so. And, and you're going to get a lot of intel, a lot of information. And I'm, I'm pretty damn sure you're going to love it. So I'm, I'm going to just crack on straight, straight ahead with this one. Um, obviously, I've got to say, hey, keep sharing us on iTunes because that does mean a lot. Limehouse podcast on iTunes. You've probably found your way. Also, we're available on SoundCloud, of course. Uh, the, the reviews really do go a long way. We're on Facebook. The Limehouse Podcast on Facebook and and at Limehouse Pod on Twitter. I've really enjoyed some of the. I did a poll this week on the Labour MPs you would most like to have on the show, and Clive Lewis was second on on that list. Stella Creasy actually won it, but but anyway, Clive Clive's a great guy. We've we've been back and forth this summer trying to line this interview up, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. And and we do start the chat just talking about. Glastonbury Festival where we were kind of like where it all began so yeah without any further ado here we go um in fact you were at Glastonbury god yeah I um, remember that so yeah um, we had people coming in it was it was like people coming in at the rain and the mud going the fuck are we gonna do yeah well exactly yeah but yeah but it was amazing I mean um it, yeah it was truly amazing was it Billy Bragg did you I don't know if you saw Billy Bragg play that night I think it was the Friday night he played but he was no I didn't see it it was I mean genuinely amazing it was just him and his electric guitar and I was just like I mean I was I think we were quite all... mournful he stuff can be can't it it's yeah. like rem, you know yeah I can imagine why people would take solace from his, God, his, yeah. his especially on a night like that yeah yeah I mean I bought a, 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 a Bruce Springsteen a Billy Bragg a tea towel and um and a billy bag bag t-shirt and an album and i came back from glastonbury going right that is it no more armchair politics i want to get involved now um and in fact he got involved with lib dems he's a socialist yeah well this is it isn't it and then i was like but this is the thing and then I, i started hearing about you know and then i started listening to billy more and more and i started thinking hang on you know i'm not i'm not as aligned with what what you know your values are but yeah. i still absolutely 100 yeah, percent love yeah. and respect his message i mean he's just about love and understanding isn't, isn't he really yeah um yeah. which is which is which yeah that which is what all progressive politics is ultimately about i think oh yeah in varying, yeah. In varying degrees but yeah so uh, when when you were at glasseries it actually i completely forgot to talk about that actually or even reference it i don't know why but we we actually bumped into each other for about three seconds. I was like, "Oh God, I don't know who you are, but that was such a good thing you said." And I can't remember what it was that you said. I think you were on stage with Neil Lawson. And, that's right. Um, and yeah, but that's probably where a, a good place to actually pick up on. Actually, well, I yeah, when I what I remember about Glastonbury two years ago after the Brexit referendum was 
was there was just this sense of people were coming in that had hit the news had hit i mean the, the mud was awful yeah and the news had hit and people i'm mean, like me people woke up that we were in brexit and all of a sudden you're in this alternative reality where we were coming out of europe and people were kind of literally staggering in from the mud and the rain in waves mm. and there was i remember you know there were people like shouting out and heckling what do we do what i'm european i know i'm italian what's going to happen to me and yeah i just thought at that point then that people wanted they they wanted some kind of reassurance and leadership yeah. they came to hear politicians talk about what do we do now and what did my party decide to do my party decided to basically put a shotgun to its head and pull the trigger <laughs> and and i just thought to myself if you could see the sense of the sense of absolute loss mm. and longing for kind of what next there was an opportunity for the labor party to actually rise above what it did end up doing and yeah. actually you know has shown real leadership about this is how we're going to bring the country together this is how we're going to bring the 48 and the 52 together we're going to be able to navigate our way through this and you know we you know that's what you could that's the leadership we could have shown but yeah that wasn't that wasn't to be unfortunately no no exactly and i mean that that's obviously why you stepped down um uh, from was it business secretary right uh, uh well that would be really clear here yeah i didn't step down in the kind of mass resignations i stepped up to show a defense to kind of defend, yeah yeah, defend yeah. Corbyn. um and then i then i got bumped up to then no so there was a a, a round of resignations yeah um then and i got bumped up to shadow defense and then i oh. think there after that there was a leadership election wasn't there yeah um was that all right let me get I this right no, my, be, my mind there were yeah. so many there were so to, many coups to be honest you know out. there are people uh, out there that but, but the, all i remember is i was bumped up to shadow defense in response to resignations yeah and then there was oh, a reshuffle yeah. and i became shadow business and i resigned over the third reading of article 50 yeah. over the fact that there had been so few concessions in terms of giving parliament a final vote the rights of eu citizens mm -hmm. i didn't want to send a right uh, you know vote for a blank check for yeah. a hard brexit which i thought it was well yeah no so i, I mean when you did when you did do that uh, i thought you know one i thought you know you've got some real cojones i was like really impressed i was also actually in the same time quite saddened because i, I thought you always a man of uh, principle after yeah seeing you speak at glasgow and and um and and then having that that was kind of for me a um a lead into uh, the labor party um uh sort of post tony blair uh and and it really sort of gave me a lot of hope and then um obviously uh, thank you. i mean yeah my i think you know i got a lot of love for my own constituents uh, my own clp who were very sympathetic and i think i think most people thought that i i adopt for kind of coming back with a well you know i've looked at the situation i think it means that i should stay on as a, <laughs> on the front bench to argue the case and yeah. i think that's what most people are expecting and you know what look if i felt that there had been enough concessions made yeah. and i could stay on the front bench and do the job i would have mm -hmm. because you know you're better off having pro-europeans inside the shadow cabinet arguing passionately for the position the later positions that you'll adopt yeah. then you are kind of being a voice in the wilderness mm. so but that that i just didn't feel there was enough for me to hang on to it, the, mm. the, you know the article 50 vote was appalling in terms of what went through and any kind of caveats or um you know checks on on the government and and now they're back for a second bite with the withdrawal bill 
which is which is you know even more audacious in terms of what it wants to do in the amount of power they want to hand themselves i mean mm. you really do begin to think that there is a sense of megalomania to some of these individuals yeah. on the front on the on the cabinet of the government in the sense of the power they want to hand themselves they do not want to have any you know democratic accountability or checks and balances on themselves they feel that they they feel that they're a law unto themselves yeah. that's a dangerous place of politics to be in and that's that's increasingly where i feel the tories at Tories are. Yeah, no, I mean, it is it is definitely heading towards that. I mean, obviously, when you look at the civil service and, and the amount of pressure they're under, you know, it's mm. not, I mean, it's, it's such a shower of shit at the moment that essentially they can, will not do what they want as such, but there's so much to sort out. There's so much, so many balls in the air that you're sort of thinking like, right, okay, what's next, you know? And then you, you look at, there's another vote or, uh, that goes through the House and, and, and everybody's yeah. on board with the government again. But I mean, just yeah just to go back to conference uh labor conference it was very interesting that that no vote was allowed on on uh article 50 on brexit i mean for, from my from my understanding I, i'm not understanding but personal perspective um and i think a lot of people they were really shocked by that i mean how 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 did you feel about that you must have pretty you must have felt so that. look there, there, there's it's very complicated so the first up the the structures in our party, the kind of mm. accountability, transparency, the democratic processes of the party, I think there's going to be a review of them um, and look at how they work. And that's one of the things that Jeremy Corbyn and um, many others of us on the left have argued for, that the command and control structure of the Blair years um, needed to be reformed to give members more of a say. That's always been a big issue mm. from where much of the new many of the new members and the old members, uh, myself included, and Corbyn have come from. And that's really important. That's going to take place. This conference is being run pretty much along the lines that it has been for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so in that sense, you know, you're stuck with the model that you have. Now, I know there are people who are saying that the... Um, vote that was that was held um, amongst constituency uh, Labour parties on the on the ballot of, of things to be debated. Uh, that was a that was a kind of democratic component. It's a, of what ha of a democratic component of conference. What I think people understand is that, you know, momentum were told to a, a number of things to vote for at that momentum delegates and Brexit wasn't on there. And some of the people that I know um, delegates that I knew were there was, were told me that, you know, I was told we were going to have a debate anyway. We didn't mm. need to vote for it because uh, there was going to be the MPF report that was going to come back to conference and there was going to be Keir's speech. Mm -hmm. And I guess my point was, as I said to them, but that's not a debate. That's not going to change policy. Yeah, That's kind of voting on a fait accompli almost. Right. You know, it's the yeah. MPF statement, the National Policy Forum statement. So, look, I think it was disappointing that we didn't have the debate. Very disappointing. And I think we would... In, a, in a, such a turbulent time, in such a controversial issue, you come to a stronger position from thesis and antithesis come synthesis, from oh, arguing how, what, your position. What was that? What was yeah, that? Yeah, you know, it's just this, you know, this, this from, you know, antithesis and thesis come synthesis, yeah. you know. So by having, by hammering out the arguments democratically, yeah. you know, in a, in a comradely way, the position you come to is far stronger because you've kind of people have said well hold on a second that that argument doesn't stack up mm. but this one does but if we go down this path that can happen and if you do and so what you come to is you should hopefully come to an amended policy position which has the widest 
number of people supporting it mm-hmm. and ultimately also has the arguments that have been hammered out more waterproof more watertight and that way you can spend the next year knowing that in a highly turbulent and highly charged brexit negotiations over which we as a party have very little control or say mm-hmm. you have a position which can guide doesn't have to kind of um constrict but it can guide the front bench and the shadow cabinet as where best mm. uh, to place themselves in this constantly shifting and constantly changing position. Now, I think some people would have seen that as as a restriction too far, yeah. and I understand that they want to have you know maximum freedom of maneuver in you know in this in this uh, in this next year. And I get that. I do understand it. But you know, it comes down to you know trust the membership, trust that they will you know make that case. Tell them, don't tie my hands yeah. with this particular amendment. Don't do this. Give us the give us the front bench, the freedom of manoeuvre to be able to make sure that we hammer the Tories every possible opportunity. I think the membership would listen to that. And I think you just come out a stronger place when you've had that debate. Yeah, no, we haven't. Um, and it's no point going over it, you know, simply put. Um, we are where we are. I think it will probably come up next year, yeah. closer to the Brexit negotiations. Is that a better place to have the debate? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Well, um, I think it also depends on how much your, your sort of... Um, new membership actually come up in arms because I, I think that a lot I don't think I don't know I'm I'm just going on what crap I've le- read on Twitter and the shit that I see on TV and, and the people I talk to that's why I go which, on yeah <laughs> I've just listed pretty much every news like newsworthy uh, like information point but anyway I think a lot of the new the new uh, members are sort of going right well I joined Labour because they're anti-Tory right and Tories are all about Brexit so um their position on on Europe is, is pro-Europe, right? But it turns out that obviously that is nuanced to beyond all belief, and and it kind of looks like Jeremy Corbyn is kind of going to edge is edging the party to a pretty not severe but kind of hard Brexit, and they can they feel very comfortable. Mm, I I disagree with that. I mean, I tell you what, I disagree with. There's a complication here which we haven't raised, and it makes it difficult for people like me, who have who are you know 101% behind Jeremy Corbyn, 101% yeah. behind the leadership on the on the social and economic and the policies and the manifesto and uh, democratizing the party, 100% there. And you know I, I I'm 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 defined I'm defined in the media as a as a Corbyn loyalist. And um, I hate that word. That's, that's I think it is. <laughs> um, and, and, but, you know, like, I've been there from the beginning with with, uh, with Jeremy and, and mm. I'm still there. I'm still supportive. And that's 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 that. But what makes it difficult for people like me and others who are supportive of Jeremy, but also have very strong views on Europe and think that, you know, all of the fantastic things we want to see a Jeremy Corbyn government do are going to be in part curtailed or mm. made all the more difficult or impossible is if we come cr- if we come crashing out of Europe in a hard Brexit and we allow the Tories to kind of adopt that position. Yeah. And I think the difficulty is, unfortunately, I think they're a minority, but unfortunately, some people in the party um, see the issue of Europe as a stick to beat Corbyn with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people, and, and that would be oversimplistic to say that's all they see it as. I think some of them also happen to be pro-Europeans. And it's not all, um, it's not everyone from the kind of the centre or the right of the party, however they're describing themselves now, are being described. Mm-hmm. But I genuinely think that is problematic because it, it muddies the waters in what the debate and the argument is. Is this about a better position on Europe or is this about knocking the the front bench and the leadership? And and that, for many members, 
after the past two years is unacceptable yeah. and it's a suspicion of some people. But I think what I've been saying at conference and people like Manuel Cortes and many others on the left, 100% behind Corbyn, but understand that Europe is like the, the quintessential issue of our age, of our time. It's that we have to be able to speak up and about about this, yeah. supportive of you, but make the political space in a constantly changing environment where environment where you know public opinion on this issue is shifting it is coming towards i think towards something which does not resemble a hard brexit something which resembles if you want um, a very very soft brexit and the, i think the country including those who voted leave are many of them are beginning to move in this direction the tory party is moving in that direction and i think yeah. what it's important for people outside of the leadership is to make sure that they understand we should be helping to make the political space from which the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn and others can move into. And that's how it works. That's what UKIP did on the other side of politics. They only had, what, they had you know, two MPs in Parliament, but most of the work they'd done in terms of getting to that Brexit position, that the referendum position, was done by, not in Parliament, it was done making political space out there. But that's what we've got to do, um, I think, for those of us who want to have the closest possible relationship to Europe. And I think the Labour Party will will acknowledge and will work with that. And I think that's what the job is to do now. Um, yeah. And that's that's where I see it. So we can, you know, we can sit and whinge about no debate. We can sit. We are where we are. But it's really important that in the most supportive way possible, the leadership, because I want to see a Jeremy Corbyn government, that we push the boundaries out and make that political space. Uh, and if you do that, as we've seen, things move our way and they are moving our way. And the Brexiteers, those you know, there's nutcase Brexiteers. They know that. They mm. can sense it. They're panicking, I think, yeah, because no, they can I'm, see it shifting against them. I can, yeah, I, I certainly feel that as well. Um, you, having, have, you, you are very con clear on what you're saying. It's unbelievable. You're like, and you're very quick at talking. It's unbelievable. Sorry. It's, no, 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 <laughs> not criticism. It's like, holy shit, I wish I could speak like that. Um, I actually, before I wanted to stumble into all the... I think verbose is the word. <laughs> verbose. 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 That's what my mum used to say to me, you're verbose. Uh, um, I wanted to actually ask how your honeymoon went. And I mean, like, I was going to start with these lovely questions, but we <laughs> typically I just jumped straight into the cream. Went straight for the jugular. Went yeah, straight yeah. into it, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, how was your honeymoon? If you if you, if you want to talk about it, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Um, well, personal. it depends on what bits you're talking about. And there's obviously some bits I don't <laughs> want to talk about. <laughs> I know the weather. I know what kind of show <laughs> this is. Um, no, look, uh, it, the, the first part, I mean, I think it was very tough. I mean, the wedding was almost was almost cancelled itself. Oh, um, but that went through in the end. And then off the back of that, I got a small weekend in Cornwall with my wife. So um, oh, nice. we, we did that. And that was really nice. And then she spent a substantial um, time on the doorstep with me in Norwich, knocking on what? doors, which wasn't how she ever, Part of your honeymoon ever envisaged was... her honeymoon being. And obviously I had to kind of, you know, you know, explain to her that we will be having a honeymoon Clive, as long as I have a job on. at the end of the uh, of the uh, of the thing, of the of the uh, election campaign. So it was it was tough. Yeah. And also there was time apart because she also has a job um, uh, as well. She teaches. She mm -hmm. she um, she's a tutor to young children oh, in right. parts of London. So, that, you know, I was in Norwich and I spent a lot of time here. So she had to travel back and forth. So there's time apart. And that's really difficult when you're newlyweds and you haven't had a proper honeymoon. Mm. But, you know, you know, without making people put their fingers down their throat, we love each other a lot. It's I've got a great, I've got a really, I've got a fantastic wife. Yeah, I mean, honey, and, honey, um, honeymoon. That helps. And, yeah, well, honeymoon. <laughs> so, yeah, doorstep, we've had our honeymoon yeah. now. And it's, yeah, it's, it's good. Things have settled down a little bit. I'm looking to get back into the routine of Parliament, and that should help as well. 
Excellent, excellent. I did actually ask you, I, I, I tweeted you yesterday asking a kind of like warm-up question um, for you to think about what's your... Because obviously, <laughs> it, you know, it, Norwich is, is Partridge country land. It, it, it's his, you know. And I just wanted to know what was the most Alan Partridge thing you've ever done. Well, it... <laughs> do you have driving Well, there gloves? are things as an MP I've done. Obviously, there's the, there's the classic tweet which was which I took responsibility for although uh, I, I it wasn't me but I took responsibility for it because my my poor office office staffer that, re, that retweeted this didn't realize what they were retweeting yeah. but they did very quickly but that was that um send us your views on the pedestrianization of Norwich <laughs> City Centre so right. journalist young journalist from the Eastern Daily Press had put this out as a headline and we kind of retweeted it verbatim and we were getting ripped. I was getting ripped. Um, uh, yeah, a new yeah. one for that one because obviously that's a a classic um, partridgeism. You were in the TA, right? I was in the reserves. Yeah, the reserves. Right. So yeah, was that when you were were you like rocking and rolling when you were in the reserves, or were you very responsible? Um, were you an officer or anything like that? Yeah, I was an officer. I was. Yeah. Um, I ended up as a, a lieutenant. Never made yeah. captain. I came out before then. Um, yeah, so as lieutenant. I mean, you can have a laugh as an officer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did. In the training, we had, you know, it's one of the great things about uh, training as an officer in the reserves is, you know, you're with people of a similar age, you go out, you know, clubbing and having a drink and so yeah. on. And then next day, you, you're on the parade ground at over 700 hours, nursing a hangover and, yeah. you know, you know, that camaraderie of all kind of groaning and moaning and, you know, or you might be out in the field, you know, the next morning, you know, doing, you know, whatever maneuvers or training there was. Yeah. So that was all good. No, that was all really good. And it, there is a responsible that you have to be, you know, there's a line that you have to draw, you know, you have to kind of be responsible. There were times when, you know, people overstepped that line. But um, yeah. no, there is, there is obviously discipline in the army and, it, and it's then it's needed there. I think people are quite interested, actually, you know, to learn about, you know, your past, because um, I, th- I always take it as a given that all, all our listeners just sort of, they just know every everybody's background. Well, they kind mm. of, they kind of, don't know everybody's background um not everybody has enough time um but no. it, i think it's quite cool it's quite interesting i, I always um uh, i know i had a chat with neil lawson he said like he was he was like saying oh yeah future leader of the, the labor party he's got the military background he's a good looking bloke he's really like you know compassionate and all this and he's got great policies uh and i was like yeah man clive lewis um but yeah <laughs> And and I think that, that, that was my nervous that was my nervous laughter then. I mean, yeah, it's been a it's been a kiss of death really. And as soon as it does feel sometimes that you know you, you could, if you string a few sentences together, um, and you know have a bit of a media profile, you're automatically a leadership contender. Yeah. And I know you know my mate Owen Jones you know did you know put his hand up and go hey this guy over here. Yeah. Um, but I think you know we've had a really mad two years as a party and. All kinds of people and names. I mean, they're, they're talking. I mean, David Miliband is going to come back from, you know, be politically resurrected at one point. Yeah. Uh, it, all this speculation is rife, especially when you've got the un- instability at the heart of the party that we did have mm. over the past two years for a variety of reasons. You're always going to get speculation like that. And it's flattering. But at the end of the day, I've been there for two years. And I just think, you know, it's it's lovely to hear, but actually. You know, you can show leadership in so many other different ways mm. by, you know, speaking up for what you believe in, yeah. um, sticking to your guns. So you feel um, like maybe you're still yeah. like cutting your teeth or not cutting your teeth, but, you know, learn, learn. Because, I mean, you know, if you've you've seen action and you've been in the army and stuff, you know, you've you've 
kind of dealt with stress in different ways so that's a really good uh, i don't know good cv moment i suppose but um in terms of like leading a party yeah it's it's too soon for you i suppose but um yeah obviously i don't this isn't, this, i don't want to <laughs> get in, military, i don't want to get into yeah, like leadership is, you know, it's but, good it is great it's great it's a it was a fantastic experience a lot of people kind of like well how do you square the circle of being a socialist and being in the army yeah. well this is one of the things i was i was trying to say in my in my now infamous speech to conference last year a defense speech um and this is some of the bits that were kind of changed at the last minute but i was trying to do oh, yeah, and say yeah. is is there is this myth that labor is is anti the armed forces look our armed forces do what the politicians tell them you know the army and the army navy and air force their brother our brothers our sisters our nieces our nephews these are our, these these are these are working people the vast majority of them mm. and you know they are there is they are not the issue the issue are the politicians that decide to use them for whether it be for wars of aggression or whatever it is invading Iraq. that's the problem <laughs> and, and and so for the labor party if you look at nato for example this was built by you know this was constructed by the new deal democrats um arguably one of the components that stopped fascism taking a hold in the united states and the 45 labor government and it was based on the on 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 values like of, of collective uh, defense uh, you know these are it, it was based on democracy and the these are things which for social democrats democratic socialists go to the heart of what we are politically so why the hell should we allow the tories to claim the mantle of being the voice you know the authentic voice of our armed forces of the authentic mm. voice of defense this country when actually they've probably done more um for in, in terms of causing trouble and putting us in danger suez and onwards than any other political party now obviously people will turn around and scream at me you know iraq well but yeah well yeah i mean you know mistake. that's a bit of an open that, goal that there a, a big mistake. <laughs> um but you know i think one of the things i wanted to do was to try and say to people actually you know you can you can be pro the armed forces it does not mean you're a warmonger it does not mean you want mm. things to go on as they are awards of aggression uh you know fiddling in the affairs of other countries unnecessarily backing dictatorships uh, and regimes that you you that you really shouldn't be that doesn't that you can actually shape you know nato you can shape uh, our country's armed forces in a way which is in accordance with our progressive ideals and values for how we would like um you know the world to move the lines along which we'd like it to move well, along so yeah, you know i think you know that's what we were trying to do reclaim ownership and the left have always struggled on you know foreign foreign policy because I think ultimately we've we, so often, I think, especially under New Labour, we've allowed ourselves to kind of get into a chest thumping competition with the Tories over, you know, who can, you know, who is, you know, it, it just seems to me, you know, ludicrous. We'll never beat them on that. And so basically you change the narrative and say, actually, there is a different role for our country. You know, you know what? You know, someone says, you know, why do we actually want to punch above our way? Why don't we actually want the world to be a better place? That's not just an ideal you know fantasism kind of thing it's a, it's it's actually something which we as you know as socialists should be able to argue for there are very bad people on the, in this world people who i think you know an inimical inimical to how i believe you know a progressive social democracy should work mm. um that doesn't you know i don't i'm we're not i'm not a pacifist but at the same time i also understand and i think an increasing number of people in this country do you cannot go on the route that we are on in terms of just building bigger and bigger weapons platforms 
more and more of them, exporting half of them to repressive regimes and hoping for the world to become a better and safer place. Absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you've got to be in I'll it to win. Pedestal. I'll get off my pedestal now. No, 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 no. So it's all right, mate. No, no, no. I mean, I'll just let, let you go. I mean, I suppose I'm kind of with you 100% on that. I, I imagine most people that listen to this podcast would be uh, as well. Um, but I, I can't I can't account for everyone. But um, no, so when you've got to be in it to win it, I think, is what you're kind of trying to say there. And also what you have said there. And that's kind of how I feel about Europe. And that's kind of why it's so fucking heartbreaking that we've... Um, you know, taking the decision to have a massively divisive referendum. But anyway, let's not go back over that because uh, you've done such a good job already of, of um, making your point there. But um, how long do you have left with me? Can you? How as long, long as you want. All oh, right. Okay. That was a very stupid thing to say because I could talk to you. I could talk to you for hours, Clive. Um, <laughs> within reason. Within, within reason. Um, I was. Yeah, I just wanted. There was um, a tweet you sent out like quite a little while ago about Grenville, um, and mm. I just wanted to talk about Grenville because I know um, that I don't know whether I don't feel like it's fallen to the back of the agenda or, or anything. But what we are actually seeing now is because of Brexit, we are seeing every agenda, social agenda, and even obviously, it, obviously uh, Brexit was begin, is going to become an, an enormous social agenda, impacts our lives um, more than we care to even contemplate especially those that voted leave but um you i think you tweeted burn near liberalism not neoliberalism not people mm. um and i know that that caused a lot of um <laughs> i don't know outcry just uh, it did yeah. un- unrest Could, do you want to expand on that point because i think it's a really well good, yeah you know what point. i i watched i was watching the coverage i was watching families you know pleading with the news teams, you know, have you, you know, if anyone's seen my brother, has anyone seen my uncle, has anyone seen my sister, my niece, my, it was heartbreaking. And then I saw, and then, you know, you begin to see the underlying anger that began to develop. And I felt angry too. I think a lot of people did. The tweet wasn't written in anger. It, I, it was quite, it was written, I thought quite carefully about it. It was a slogan. Mm-hmm. There's no two ways about it. But to my mind, you know, when you understand, when you saw that uh, that online blog from the Residents Association saying that we've got to come to the point now where we don't believe anyone will listen to us until something awful happens, you begin to understand how a political, economic and philosophical idea of which neoliberalism is, of which has dominated our politics and our economics for the last 35 years, has basically embedded itself into every aspect of our life into how we think into into people's attitude towards democracy into democratic institutions into you know the emaciation of local government of you know professional bodies and standards and how they interact uh with you know building regulations it's permeated everywhere and people can say well you're just kind of imagining this there's so much there's such a body of work on this and it makes so much sense yeah and if you want to call it Thatcherism or Reaganism, whatever, but this deregulated, low tax, um, cutting red tape, um, not listening to you know, austerity is a kind of a, a kind of another manifestation of it, more extreme manifestation of it. Um, you know, basically denying people a voice. You know, you look at the the institutions like LEPs uh, taking away democratic oversight of the Bank of England uh, or control of the Bank of England. These are traits of neoliberalism, and so I think it's quite right that. Actually, as, a, as an economic philosophy, this has done more damage in terms of climate change, more damage 
in terms of inequality, both within this country and, and internationally. It's been an appalling uh, economic and, and political philosophy. And whilst there are people who have made conscious decisions to go down that path, and they must be blamed as well, ultimately, I wanted to be quite clear that what happened at Grenfell was as much about uh, a political and economic philosophy which has hollowed out um, the body politic of this country in so many ways and left people powerless and voiceless. And that was a result. And it made me angry and it made, I'm sure, millions of other people in this country angry. And there are too many people that wanted to say this was a unique set of circumstances and, mm. you know, heads will roll and we will. Well, maybe they were a unique set of circumstances. Maybe heads should roll. And yes, heads should definitely should roll. But let us not forget the reasons and the, the background which allowed those decisions to be mm. made with impunity that allowed those people uh, to die. And to my mind, you know, as this neoliberalism has to end for the planet's sake, for people's sake, for society's sake. Because if it doesn't, I can see where it's going. You look now in Germany, you've got the AFD, you know, the, an openly fascist party. You've got proto-fascist in Hungary, proto-fascist, if not fascist, running Poland. We're in a we're in a dangerous place. You know, neoliberalism is not providing and producing the kind of economy we, and stability it, it promised it would. It's falling apart. The consensus for it is ending. And I think Grenfell will be seen by historians as one of those iconic moments when we crossed the Rubicon in terms of what people are prepared to accept and what they're not. And now you can see the Tories are backtracking. The political, the kind of political centre of gravity of this country has shifted. Uh, and that, mm -hmm. I think, Grenfell will be seen in, as part of that in that process. So my tweet, controversial, well, tough because yeah. I meant it and that's what that's what I think yeah no no I can see a lot of truth in in that and I, I know yeah it was sloganism but in it I, I, I can also I feel like there's a, le a legitimacy there as well so I wasn't you know it wasn't like Trump or anything horrific like that or Katie Hopkins or whatever she's on about so that obviously there was a lot of power and, and emotion behind that and rightly so like you said once again well in, you know. I think some people wanted a some people I mean this is a classic this is, this is a classic isn't it they wanted to turn it and to make it out as if you were kind of inspire, you know, trying to inspire violence or mm. something. You know, look at, listen to the words, burn neoliberalism, burn the, burn an economic and, and political philosophy, which has led us mm. to this place, to this position, not people. Yeah, you, know, you know, let's how... have a politics which looks after people and planet uh, and not just, you know, the mar the profit margins of corporations and the super wealthy. Mm. That's the difference. Uh, and I think, you know, if I'm going to be if I'm going to be, you know, you know, labeled, you know, some kind of hate monger for that tweet, then it really is, you know, straw man politics, because actually the tweet itself is saying, let's get rid of this, this is nefarious, you know, political and economic creed and replace it with something else which protects people, protects planet, protects our democracy, and neoliberalism is not it. You know, you ask the people of Chile what they think about neoliberalism right, yeah. uh, and, and, and Pinochet and, mm. and how he how their country was used in the 1970s as, um, you know, as, a, as, a, as, an, ex, as an experiment, a, mm. a test tube for mm. these neoliberal policies which were later rolled out uh, across much of the Western world. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an awful, awful set of principles and policies and, and creeds and it's based on greed and selfishness at its heart and core and you know i'm happy to call it out yeah no no absolutely i mean i just think that where, where you are right now where you, you know 
um, certain members of the cabinet are certain uh, loyalists to um, I hate I just I said I hate that word but I'm gonna use it anyway fuck it the loyalists uh, Jeremy Corbyn um, you know they're anything those people um, use to batter the old regime as it were you know neoliberalism you know capitalism blah blah, blah. if they, they are out there protesting against that against Grenfell and, and actually like you said determining the root cause of Grenfell um, they are going to get slapped with if you use any kind of you know burn destroy yeah. whatever they're going to be like okay you're attacking the yeah. status quo here i even even people that would agree with you even people that would say actually you bang on there but hang on oh what's this? don't use the language but you understand there was a it was a it was a tweet so it was a slogan yeah and it was it was basically revert you know people had burnt to death let's not forget that mm. people had burnt to death but this was like saying burn the illiberalism not people and i and, I, and I, I can get it's controversial but often the truth for those that don't like it sometimes the truth hurts mm. um and yes you know what you know I, i'm sure there is someone who could sit there and say i was genuinely offended by this for this reason and i understand that and i get that but when you look at the damage that this this what that neoliberalism has done and is doing to our country to our planet then you kind of feel it's about time the gloves the gloves come off mm. it makes me angry um, and I think it makes a lot of other people angry. Well, yeah, one of the yeah. things that happened from that tweet, a couple of people, a number of people said to me, I didn't know what the word neoliberalism was until I saw that tweet. And it made me and my girlfriend, one person said, me and my girlfriend go away and look it up. And now I know what it is. I don't like it. Well, yeah. you know, in that sense, it did its job. Have because you, someone, have you, there are people now that have gone out and looked. Mate, have you got a, have you got a sentence on describing neoliberalism? What is, What's that? Sorry. Have you got a sentence on what neoliberalism is? Like, what what is what is it in a nutshell for our listeners? The rationalisation of individualism, greed, and emaciating the democratic uh, rights of communities. Um, in a nutshell, that area. That's the. I mean, I mean, you can go away and, and read about what it is, but ultimately, the whole deregulation, low tax. Uh, maximizing profit and accepting that inequality yeah. is a necessary evil of the <laughs> yeah. of, of of their oh, market economic driven um, program. You know, uh, you know. Do I think we can live in a completely uh, equal capitalist world? Probably not. Can we reduce the levels of inequality rather than see it as a driver for ever greater efficiency? Yes, we can. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um... I mean, a part of that, I suppose, also comes into. I'll just uh, segue slightly off because I, I, I saw you. Talk, <laughs> I, <laughs> saw you. Talk. love a good segue. Yeah, I love a segue. Meanwhile, I bloody love a segue, me. Um, but um, yeah, I did see you talk at uh, the Progressive Alliance um, launch. I think it was what it was just about a couple of weeks into the general election. I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it was a fantastic speech you gave, and and obviously there. Um, if we're going to talk about um, neoliberalism, blah, 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 affecting change, I think that's got to come with um, a, a, a different approach to the voting structure, you know, uh, yeah. to first-past-the-post system. And so when we had that, um, you know, a slight, um, slightly uh, awkward stance uh, from, obviously, Liberal Democrats and uh, the Greens have stood 
uh, aside for one another in certain constituencies um, during the general election and in the past. And that was kind of knocked on the head a bit uh, in Guildford, actually, where I'm doing this podcast from today. Um, when, yeah, the when Guildford Four. The Guildford Four. We actually passed that that, that very that very place today. Um, yeah. yeah. God, jeez, Louise, that was horrific. And um, yeah, so what I guess I'm getting at is was my anger at Jeremy Corbyn for uh, coming down heavily. On, on those labour um, forces in in Guildford for uh, I mean, agreeing I, to step aside. I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously, I sound like an apologist for the Tsar. If only the Tsar knew, you know. I, I mean, I, 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 do I think Jeremy Corbyn personally um, expelled those people from the party? No, that he can't. It's not his job. Mm. So you shouldn't. Your anger should be directed at Jeremy. Although as leader, he can change things uh, at some point. Um, this this was done by the I would say the disciplinary process within the party, judiciously um, uh, enacted by you know s- members of the party. So if I say members of the party, what I'm, is I wanted the word in my head is apparatchiks. <laughs> oh my god! Um, but they were, as I understand it, they were suspended by the disciplinary process of the party, um, in part by. Um, the regional Labour Party. I mean, and that's that's why these people who wanted to to find the best possible way of stopping a Tory uh, from winning in this cunt in this in this case Jeremy Hunt. That was a genuine. That's a genuine mistake. I don't think you got the whole word for the record. But they wanted <laughs> to basically well, the best chance. What was the best chance in their constituency of getting rid of Jeremy Hunt? And though many of the members in the local Labour Party, the majority of them, because they voted for it, wanted to support um, the NHS, um, the uh, NHS party candidate against him. Um, And, you know, there are many of us who were very sympathetic to that. But the rules are quite clear within the Labour Party that you cannot support any other candidate except a Labour candidate in an election. Um, And I know that there are now moves by some members to say, well, actually, you know, if we are about devolving power and giving members and CLPs real power, then we should allow CLPs to decide what they want to do at a local level. Yeah. I think there is merit in that argument. I think it's something that should be debated and discussed uh, a lot more widely about kind of devolving power to um, local CLPs on this issue. And I think it's something would have which would have meant that potentially we would have had one less Tory MP, a pretty, a pretty one massive, nefarious one yeah. uh, in Parliament, which would have taken us closer to having a Jeremy Corbyn government. But I think, look, the issue about Progressive Alliance, I want to say two things about it. First of all, it does tend to get bogged down into the Electoral Alliance's angle of Progressive Alliance. And so often when I talk about Progressive Alliance, and many others do, it's about it's simply accepting this simple, this simple idea that the Labour Party, was, when it was founded, was a progressive alliance. It's ossified over time, but it was a progressive alliance of trade unionists, you know, Marxists, uh, temperance movement, you know, lots of different organizations, Fabians, different organizations that came together to form a progressive alliance to take on the Tories and the Liberals. And what I think, what I think we now want to see is that society has changed quite dramatically, and we have a two-party system held in place, well, it's not a two, it's a multi-party system held in place by a first-past-the-post system. And we can see that in the last election, even though the two main political parties you know, achieved more than, you know, between 80 or 90% of the vote, um, they still didn't take overall control. So I think for me, I understand why we end up going down this path about electoral packs. 
I want to see a Labour government. And I want to see a Labour government that gets in, gets over the line, but then brings in proportional representation. Because then I think once we have a modern 21st century democratically proportionate voting system, it will take away a lot of this necessity to do, you know, tactical voting and so on. People will be able to vote for the party they want yeah. because we'll have a far more proportional, depending on what system is, but a far more proportional uh, voting system. Then it turns around to what does the wider progressive alliance mean? That means actually understanding that the Labour Party does not have a monopoly on wisdom. And actually, we are going to need a bigger boat if we're going to take on an establishment that's been around since 1066 and has lots of power. We're going to need more than just a five years or 10 years of a Labour government. We're going to need to work with civil society, with uh, you know various interest groups across society who want to see a far more democratic and socially progressive economy and society. And that means working wider afield. That's what Progressive Alliance genuinely means. And I think if we can do that, then we can actually begin to enact real changes in our society and our economy. Yeah. And what holds us back is the kind of divide and conquer mentality that the, I think the establishment are very good at, which is that we allow ourselves to be split apart from one another when actually we should be working together. And I think, you know, I want to see a Labour government, but I think what Labour should be, should be it should be the kind of you want the aircraft carrier in a flotilla of progressive um, of pro of progressive boats uh, in yeah. that flotilla. That's what it should be. We won't be able to do it on our own. We need those support vessels. We know, I mean, some people take offense. I'm not a support vessel. But actually, you know, we're the largest democratic organization in Western Europe. Uh, we've got the Parliamentary Labour Party. We're a parliamentary democracy, but we should be working with civil society, with trade unions, with the wider labour movement, with other progressive organisations, with Oxfam, with War on One, uh, with the Jubilee Debt Camp, all these organisations coming together to form a kind of solid block that can take on this establishment that has held this country back for far too long. Yeah. There you go. That's what a progressive alliance truly is. Well, yeah, we no, need a bigger boat. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. I'll take, I'll take your point. It was a fantastic um, night that night as well, uh, up in, uh, wherever the hell it was, North East London. Uh, it, was, it was great. And once again, Neil Lawson from Compass was there. Uh, and Neil Lawson was our first guest on this podcast as well. So. Did he mention Gramsci on your podcast? Oh God, probably. Like probably. <laughs> God, he's, he's, there's a running joke, and then there's a there's a I, you can go online and find a, a Neil Lawson random Gramsci generator. Oh really? It will. <laughs> I mean, he was actually. He'll kill me for saying that. Well, we spoke <laughs> a lot about Leighton Orient actually. Um, oh right, I'm not sure. Where, I'm not sure whether Gramsci was a supporter of Leighton Orient, <laughs> but that's an interesting, interesting take. Yeah. Are you? Um, are you a real supporter of Norwich City, or are you just have, do you have to say that? Are you a West Ham supporter or something? Well, my family are Gooners. Oh right, so, okay, that's standard. You know, isn't read it? into that what you will. I've You're... been here. What in, I've lived in Norwich since two thousand one, so like 15, 16 years. Yeah, uh, yeah, I support. I support Norwich. I mean, this is my this is my home, and this is my local team now. Yeah. Um, and I've got a season ticket. I never go enough. I don't go bet anywhere near enough. Oh, but I like to see them win, I, and I, I, I like to see people in the city. I like to see my constituents happy. Yes. When Norwich wins people are happy yeah. when Norwich isn't performing people aren't happy and as an MP I like to see constituents that are happy I want, what's so like, I support Norwich what's it like having Norman Lamb as a neighbour as well as an MP it, do you, do it's you... been interesting I mean <laughs> we've been on a journey as I think they say politically yeah. um, you know he, he he you know he, he kind of you know when I became a candidate I was obviously working at the BBC and he, I think he tried to make my life a little bit difficult there um, I didn't know but, that, by the way. Well, what did he do? What's did he, that? I didn't know that. Did he like put a? Did he like put some? I just think you know, you, you as a 
I think as I think you know, people can sometimes try and push their weight around weight around in ways oh, which okay. can kind of make your life slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, you know, look, he was an MP uh, in the um, coalition government um, for five years, yeah. and that meant that he was the opposition, and consequently, I spoke out against him and his coalition government. Yeah. And you know that can put strains on. You know, one of the, he's the only other non-Tory MP. Was the only other non-Tory MP in Norfolk, still is. Yeah. Um, and that you know, that put some pressure on him, and he didn't like it. I understand that. But you know, since I've been in Parliament, since they've you know the coalition have left, um, Liberal Democrats have left the coalition and now on their own, and um, they did meet in a taxi for quite for those first two years <laughs> as a <laughs> as a as a parliamentary party. Yeah, um, you know, I've 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 kind of got to, got to see Norman in Parliament. We've been we've been in meetings together, and now he's the chair of the Science and Technology Committee, which I'm on as well. And mm. you know, we've got, we've got we've got a good working relationship. Um, we don't agree on everything, and you know, there are things at which I will kind of take a stick to him and say, "Hey, you were a, you were a, you know you were the mental health minister for some years. You were in government for some years. You've got to take some ownership from some of the." Mm for some of the fallout that's happened to mental health service across Norfolk and Suffolk. Yeah. But, you know, clearly he finds that quite a difficult conversation. I can understand why. But mm. there are lots of other areas where we probably have far more in common than we do and that divides us. But on yeah. the issue of mental health, sometimes we, we've had a kind of couple of runnings. Yeah, I mean, oh, definitely. Well, I mean, it, it is just, it is, it is interesting because I know a lot of, the, there are a lot of Labour um, um, issues that are, policies and what have you not policies but issues that, that run that run quite close to liberal democrat and i i, I feel like um in some ways are you trying to be deliberately yeah. offensive no, no. I, I'm joking. <laughs> no look, look, this is the thing about this is the thing about the, the, the funny thing is you know for many years many people a lot of people say how can you have a progressive alliance with liberal democrats that are part of austerity and the coalition government but you have to remember that you have to take a longer view i think for many years you know, under, you know, during, you know, Thatcher and Major and the Blair years, the Liberal Democrats you know, had positions which were far to the left of the Labour Party on civil liberties, mm -hmm. on Iraq and so on and so forth. So, you know, look, they've had a bad, they've had a, a, a bad press the last kind of uh, during the coalition government and rightly so because they propped up you know, uh, an austerity-led Tory government and they have paid a heavy political price for that. But if you look at them over the course of the last 20 years, on a number of positions, they've actually had policies which are probably closer to where Labour is now heading than Labour was at the time that they had those policies. So I know I guess ultimately for some people, you know, especially, you know, comrades who want a far more radical outcome from politics, the Liberal Democrats are far too closely associated with that kind of third way to mark, you know, the orange liberals, are, you know, far too close, far too free marketeer for my likings. I, I get all of that. But, you know, there are there are there are liberal Democrats who on a vast range of policy issues, you could probably get a fat. You couldn't get a fag paper between where me and many, many Labour MPs and activists are on certain yeah. issues, you know, yeah. civil liberty issues, for example, mm -hmm. on human rights issues. Uh, you know, the work that Tom Brake does, you know, calling out human rights abuse around the world. Mm. So, you know, it's it, it's it's but we do tend to have such a sectarian tribalist approach to politics. I think mm. it's in part because of the, you know, the voting system we have. Um, but, yeah, you know, I am not going to be an apologist for 
crappy Lib Dem policies <laughs> and what they did with the coalition. I'm not. No, I'm no. just saying if you take a longer view, we're going to need as many people as possible to try and fight for a more progressive and socially just economy and society yeah. uh, in the years ahead. And, you know, you, 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 fake, you take your allies where you can find them. And if there are some, you know, who happen to have a Lib Dem badge, then, you know, I'll work with them. So there you go, what a lovely positive note to end on. You know, the olive branch there being being handed out. Hope, you know, we can all work together and it'll be a better world. Kind of like what Maria Black and people like that have been saying for years. Caroline Lucas, just normal, progressive human beings without that horrific uh, tribalism attached to politics. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys took something from that interview. And, and if you do want to lend us some feedback, please do. Uh, at Limehouse Pod, and that's on Twitter, and then uh, Limehouse Podcast on uh, Facebook, and you can email the show, the Limehouse Podcast, at gmail dot com. So yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you've you've downloaded this. I'm glad you subscribed to this. Please keep spreading the word. It does go a hell of a long way, and it, it, it's it's helping us so much. It's giving us a lot of inspiration, you know. Uh, but yeah. A word on uh, on the future of the podcast. I'm going to be going away for a little while, uh, just just on a, a brief hiatus, really. Uh, a, a, a honeymoon. I'm going on a honeymoon. Finally, guys, I'm going to the south of, the south of Spain, and I cannot wait. It's going to be absolutely marvellous. And uh, George Turner is going to be jumping in and taking uh, the reins there of the podcast. So I don't know what he's got lined up. He might have Daryl Hannah, Helen Hunt. Kim Bassinger, he might have Harrison Ford, he might have Tom Hanks lined up. Um, he's probably going to just get some really nice craft ale and sit in a park somewhere on a park bench um, in his pants. George, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Anyway, th- this this week has been a tough one for me. Personally, personally, uh, Tom Petty um, sadly died, sadly passed away. And now Tom has been a huge influence on my life from the age of 10 to this very second. And and he, my mum my mom and dad, they, you know, they, they kind of like stuck some amazing music in front of us when we were kids. From like Jimi Hendrix all the way yeah, through to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So this week was specifically hard. It, the, it actually really hit me very hard. Like I, I know that when David Bowie died, a lot of people were very affected. There was a lot of um, Diana, Princess of Wales kind of um, hysteria around it that seemed to go uh, gather a, a lot of momentum and people that never really listened or got David Bowie. I don't know what got, but never really... They, they were somehow taken along with it. So this this one, Tom Petty dying, I can understand where that came from, where that energy, where that not hysteria, well, it was hysteria, but certain levels of emotion, I can understand where it came from. So for me, losing Tom Petty in the Heartbreaker, Tom, Tom Petty from Tom Petty in the Heartbreaker is absolutely freaking shit. Off the hook shit. 66 years old. He was a total rocker. If you've got any inclination to maybe listen to some cracking classic rock, do it. Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers. They have some amazing songs, okay? And there's a documentary called Running Down a Dream. Peter Bogdanovich, I think, did it. It's about four hours long. It 
it, it by the time you finish watching it, it's like it's just it's just like twenty minutes. It feels like twenty minutes of the best rock and roll story ever has ever been told. I'm telling you right now, he takes on the music industry and beats them, and sets a precedent pre- precedent for all other bands to to lead by and and cleared cleared the path, you know, for other musicians. And that's why people like Dave Grohl and Eddie Vedder adore him and and rightly so i i strongly suggest watching that documentary and also checking out his music and the reason i'm saying this is because you know if you've been listening to this podcast i do tend to shoehorn in musical references uh here and there and and music does mean a lot to me so anyway i'm gonna leave you with a with a little bit of music actually uh to commemorate tom and and the fantastic work he's done over the the decades So yeah, guys, take care, and I will see you soon. I come from the rock and roll world. started a trend and that the trend that exists today this whole psychedelic mixed media world that psychedelic <laughs> kind of uh, media goes back world, to the psychedelic you embark on the world that psychedelic <laughs> mixed media world well i'm looking back on it yeah i think well i'm looking back on it yeah i think things have been really good and very well i'm looking back on it yeah i think things have been really good and very creative To cut some records. What do you do when you're For the one-shot bug killer. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. The Beatles. The Beatles. The Beatles.
Let's go!